The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. show coming up for you on our last day of freedom, potentially, um, peace and prosperity or something like that. Um, looking forward to talking to a couple of great guests. I just want to start out with a quick personal note. Um, for some of you who enjoy listening to me on this show, I've got a podcast I'm going to be starting soon, and there is a GoFundMe up where you can help me do that if you're willing to give a little bit. Um, so hopefully we can hold Mr. Trump accountable, which is the plan. So again, it's, it, it's Cliff Schechter. I'm the guy. It's a GoFundMe. You can go to GoFundMe.com and find it there. And uh, that's it for that right now. Why don't we get started with our first guest. Um, our first guest is Charles Gaba, who we should have on the line right now. He is a guy who helped us all out by starting back in 2013 ACA signups. That's for the Affordable Care Act, all of you. I know it does. It's it's the same thing as Obamacare. You may not know that. <clears throat> Actually, I think everybody listening here does. Too many others don't. And and you know he's been cited by the New York Times and by Cato Institute, which is interesting, and the New England Journal of Medicine and many others. And basically, it's Charles who's kept uh, us all up to date on what's going on with the Affordable Care Act. So now that Republicans are trying to assault it, I thought we'd ask Charles about it. Charles, are you with me? Uh, yes, I am, and thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure, my pleasure. I, I've, I've, you know, really enjoyed reading your work for a while now. Actually, I shouldn't say enjoyed it as much as it, it's been essential, because um, in a non-fact-based universe with a lot of journalists who don't really even understand any of this stuff, you, who, uh, if I'm correct, were, you know, we're putting together websites. I think that's still your primary uh, job. Took it upon yourself, you know, in your spare time, because you only had that and kids and you ran for office, and so you had a lot of time. You, you kept the media honest, didn't you? Um, well, in some cases, I tried, and, I, and I'm still trying. Yeah, well, I, I think it speaks for itself. I could go on and read people a long list of the many places you ended up, but or in many places you were cited. But let's get to what we need to know right now. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, on watching all this? First of all, do you think the Republicans are actually going to be able to repeal the program, what have you been hearing? And uh, I want to hear more about the, the kinds of losses we'll incur in terms of health insurance and jobs if they somehow get their crazy way. So well, what, do you, what do you know about um, all this? Yeah, and, and, and again, there's there's a lot of unknowns here. and that's, The unknowns themselves are part of the problem because um, one thing I've learned over the years of doing this is that the one thing that actuaries, you know, the, the people who crunch the numbers for insurance companies, the one thing that they hate above all else is uncertainty. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, so this, this is just a nightmare for them uh, because they don't know. They, the, the companies don't know. The actuaries don't know. Nobody knows. You know, the, the enrollees don't know. The doctors don't know. Nobody knows anything about what's going to happen going forward. <laughs> so, um, so that uncertainty itself is a big part of the problem. And that's why, you know, Republicans, they, they, they've been trying, or they were trying up until about a week ago, they were really pushing hard on this repeal and delay thing, right? And the idea was that they're going to repeal the law, and they're going to pass the law which repeals it, 
you know, right, right away because they've been screaming about repeal, repeal, repeal for seven years now, and now they're in a position to do it, and so they're going to do it. And well, surely they must they have can. a plan, right? If they've been yelling about right, it for well, seven right. years, I'm sure they have a well-worked-out plan, right? Yeah, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the thing is that even so, – so they were pushing that hard, and, but the idea was they were going to pass the repeal right away – but then delay, include language that would basically delay the triggering of it for a year, two years, three years, maybe even four years, um, which is conveniently, you know, two or three years conveniently past the midterms. <laughs> uh, right. Possibly even, past, possibly even past the next presidential election, you know, who knows. And then they can um, send you a note that you're losing your health insurance. Well, but that, right, and the thing, the thing that people have to understand is that it sounds that the push, that the spin they're putting that on that is, oh, that'll give us plenty of time to come up with, you know, put together something to replace it, and nobody's going to lose the coverage in the meantime. The problem is that the insurance companies, uh, I mean, it is true that people who sign up, who are signed up for 2017, are probably going to be okay and keep their current policy through the end of this year. But if you're an insurance company executive and you have to, you have a decision to make. You know the, the board of directors and so on. They have decisions to make about are they going to participate for next year, and they can't wait until the end of the year to decide that. They have to. The initial paperwork for that sort of thing uh, has is done sometime in April or May, I believe. So, so you know what, Charles? It's it's almost as if people like you and me, who, who at least scream at the top of our lungs on Twitter, if not in other places, sometimes too. Uh, mm-hmm. When we were screaming and yelling about Donald Trump being his unpredictability, which he seems to wear with a badge of honor, being a bad <laughs> thing for business as well as foreign policy, but certainly bad right. for business. It's almost like that's true or something, huh? Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Amazing how markets that's, uh, like stability, don't they? Right. Well, exactly. And and so and, and again, because of the timeline is so short, a lot of these companies uh, depending on, you know, because they don't know exactly what they're going to repeal, what part of it they're going to repeal, when they're going to repeal, it, when it's going to be implemented, what's going to replace it, when it's going to replace it. Without knowing any of that, there there is a strong possibility that many of the carriers on the exchange now who have already been patiently, you know, sort of biting their tongue <laughs> in some cases for several years now, um, they, you know, there, there was a report that came out just a week or so ago from Standard and Poor's that said that, you know, yes, most of the carriers through the private uh, through the ACA exchange, uh, most of them have been losing money. There have some there's some that have been make, making money, but most have been losing money. But that this they're, they're sort of over the hump now. They see this last uh, this most recent you know rate hikes as being sort of a one time correction, and that they see if not profits, at least breaking even in the near future and possibly profits for some of them. And so there's a light at the end of the tunnel if right. the ACA keeps, you know, keeps moving forward. But if now they're being told, well, we're going to repeal it, but we're not going to, you know, but we're not going to actually implement that for two years, a lot of them are very likely to say, you know what, forget this, I'm done. You know, just, right. and, I mean, and, and again, and that's the risk. Yeah, they right, that's the risk now. And again, people forget that, that for whatever problems there may be with the Affordable Care Act, um, mm-hmm. that we've had, you know, as you said, we had seven years, we had a long time when, you know, if, if the Republicans who controlled Congress wanted to actually do something, um, and they controlled the House the entire time, the Senate a lot of the time, if they wanted to actually, um, you know, make the thing better, 
They could have. I mean, Social Security, when it was right. passed, was not passed. You know, there was a lot of problems with Social Security. You didn't have survivors' benefits. You, you didn't have uh, domestic workers included because of racist Southern uh, senators, sadly. Um, mostly mm-hmm. Southern, but others, I'm sure, too. And, and so the program was kept and made better over the years. But these guys have done nothing but, what, vote to repeal it 50 times, not come up with any alternative, provide as much, as you said, sort of unpredictability as possible. And now, of course, they have the king of unpredictability, Donald Trump, there. And so I, I understand, don't you? I mean, I guess what you're saying is totally true. What would you do if you were a, a healthcare executive, and you, even if you want this thing to work? Well, exactly. That there are, there's What people have to understand also is that um, when you talk about the numbers, you know, how many people are impacted or could be impacted, the numbers sound very large or very small, depending on your point of view. Uh, if, obviously, if you're enrolled, if you're one of those people, even one person is an important number. You know, it's, it's, it's huge. <laughs> um, right. to, to most of the insurance carriers, though, most of their business is not through the ACA exchanges. Most of it is through... Uh, you know, employer. I mean, almost half the country is, is uh, insured through right. employer. You got another big chunk through Medicare, another big chunk through Medicaid, and uh, Medicare and Medicaid. Although those are you know those are public programs, a lot of that is handled through you know through private corporations, through right. you know, insurance companies. Managed but they want to get rid of that next. Right. <laughs> well, we talk well, about well, that's, yeah, that's a whole separate. Yeah, that's a whole yes. separate uh, <laughs> you know, discussion. Yeah. But, but the point is that, that the individual market, which is around 20 million people, uh, give or take, uh, about half of that is on the exchanges. The other half is, is off the exchange and directly. That's about 20 million people. Now, that is a lot of people, but for the insurance companies, as a percentage of their business, for most of them, it's a fairly small, you know, they have these other huge divisions that are making profits in and you know, doing whatever. And then they have this sort of small, you know, the, the individual market. And for a lot of them, it might just not be worth a bother, you know. Uh, forget that. I'm out of, that's, you know, regardless of whether you're talking about through the ACA or through whatever the heck they come up with, replace it, if anything. Well, some of them might just say, enough, I'm, I'm done. Let's, let's be honest. We know that I mean, anything beyond health savings accounts that won't benefit anybody who doesn't have the money to put in them, um, mm-hmm. you know, or this crazy across state lines, Garbage. It's not, I mean, they're not going to solve it. I don't. They, they refuse to govern, so I don't see how they can come up with anything. But let's talk more about that, Charles. We have to take a quick break. Um, we've been talking to Charles Gaba about uh, what the Republicans are trying to do to our insurance markets, and the ACA. We'll be right back. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at eight 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 six Leslie. in for Leslie Marshall. You're listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. We went to break. We're talking to Charles Gaba of ACASignups.net, and Charles is telling us about the uncertainty in the markets right now, or I shouldn't say markets, uncertainty among insurance uh, and insurance executives due to what Republicans are trying to do, assaulting the Affordable Care Act, uh, or you know it may know it as Obamacare, so we're going to pick up there. Charles, um, 
I wanted to ask you because I you said twenty million uh, law twenty million people losing their insurance if Republicans go ahead and, and kill Obamacare. Um, I saw estimates that showed as many even as thirty two million. I wanted to ask you about that as well as the federal deficit going up and jobs lost. Seems like a bad combination. Uh, what do you think? Uh, sure. So, yeah, first of all, just uh, regarding that, that 20 million figure, what, what I was saying was, was the total individual market is around 20 million people, uh, about half, about 10 million on the exchange, about another 10 million off the exchange. Uh, the, the number you're gotcha. talking about is the number of people whose coverage, health care coverage, is at risk if the ACA is repealed, if Obamacare. Yes, it's important. People remember it's the same thing. <laughs> Um, and that number, there are, as you say, there are different estimates uh, ranging anywhere from 20 to as high as 32 million. My personal estimate is around right in the middle, right around 25 million. And where that comes from is about 9 to 10 million of that is people losing coverage through the individual market. That is, I estimate around basically the people on the exchanges who are receiving healthcare subsidies or you know, receiving. So we're talking about like one in 13 assistance. people, if we're going to break that down, losing their health insurance. Right. Pretty right. important for people uh, to know. Go ahead. Right. Um, so that's around maybe 9 million people, and the exact number varies depending on a few variables, but around 9 million people who are receiving you know, substantial financial assistance, uh, that would be ripped away. And so then they would no longer, there was no way where they would be able to afford their, 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 uh, their private policies. The other chunk of that, uh, which is around anywhere from 11 to 14 million people, is through Medicaid expansion. Uh, those are the people who re- who were added to the Medicaid rolls um, at, thanks to the ACA's expansion provision, which basically beefs up the eligibility status. Um, you know, every state has some people who are eligible for Medicaid, um, right. and the expansion provision sort of increased it, raised the threshold for that in the states that took the expansion. Of course, 19 states didn't uh, didn't take it. So, but in the 30 totally states, for good reasons, right? Not for politics. No, Sorry, I couldn't help. I couldn't help myself. Go ahead. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No. No. For, for for absolutely no no real reasonable reason whatsoever. Uh, it was basically free money on the table from a from a you know from a state budget perspective. Uh, right. It was the best deal they'd ever see, and uh, you know, and the nineteen states just haven't. And and actually, quite a few Republican held states have come around over the last couple of years. There's been five or six states that have. Uh, it was around half and half, and then five or six more Republican-held states have seen the light and said, hey, actually get me in on that as well. But the other 19 right. haven't. But, yeah, so there's around uh, up to 14 million people on Medicaid who that would be wiped, wiped out as well. So you add them all up, it's around 25 million. The 32 million number uh, you cited, that comes from, um, there were two studies, one by the Urban Institute a few weeks ago, and then another one just the other day by the Congressional Budget Office, which is sort of you know the final word on these things. Um, and they basically assumed all of that plus about another seven million or so who would be. Remember, I mentioned that the total, the off exchange market is around individual market is around ten million people as well. They're right. estimating that most of that would be wiped out as well. Dep- again, depending on how they go about doing it, what the process is, and so forth. So it's it's yeah, it could be up to thirty-two million people, which is about ten percent of the entire country's population. That's insane. Yeah. Do we still have you, Charles? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I apologize. I lost you. I think I lost you for a second. Okay. Um, you know, I'm interested. What uh, would we would we be talking about? In other words, how many people do you have any estimate? And I'm totally springing this on you. You may not. If the other 19 states had expanded Medicaid, 
how many more people even than currently are would be insured? Yeah, um, the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is again a, a big you know healthcare think tank, they did uh, they've done a couple of estimates. They estimate that among across those 19 states, there's around I think it's 2.8 million people who are currently uninsured who would be covered through Medicaid if those if all 19 states were to uh, accept the you know the expansion provision. Um, and those people are they're in what's called the Medicaid gap, and right. basically what it means is that. Those people earn, they earn too much to qualify for Medicaid right now because, uh, in their, in their states, but they actually earn too little to receive subsidies through the, uh, through the exchanges. Um, because when the law was originally written, it was, the idea was that anyone up to a certain point would be on Medicaid, and anyone, anyone from that point up to another point would receive subsidies through the private exchanges. However, right. the report said that that the states up to the individual states, 19 states decided not to take the Medicaid. So those people uh, are actually caught right in between. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a major problem. It's one of those things that, sorry, go ahead. It's a major problem for them. And it's a, a major problem that up to 32 million people could possibly be uh, in a similar boat in the near future. It's incredible. It's just crazy. And, and again, you know, and again, um, uh, we, and I'm one of those, by know, the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not, but uh, I, well, I could be because uh, you know I, pre-existing conditions come back into to being mm-hmm. actually could be could be also, um, yeah. And and again, these are the what you're talking about here, the Medicaid gap. These are the kinds of things that can be fixed when you pass a piece of legislation, and your attempt is to actually govern and improve things, and you pass what was once considered the Heritage Foundation Mitt Romney. Uh, the market-based option, because this is, am I correct in saying we've got only about a minute and a half left, but I mean, sure. uh, you know, that this is the only, I mean, the only other option to really cover people is going to be single payer or, you know, at least adding a public option, something of that sort. You can't just sort of, you know, there's no libertarian answer to this, is there? Well, there is a libertarian answer, which is okay. you're on your own, and you know, or as, as a, the Ron Paul say, answer, where you crash your bicycle, your your motorcycle, and they just leave you on the road. That one. Well, yeah, it's basically, don't get sick, or if you do, get, die quickly, as you know, Alan Grayson once said. And yeah, I mean, there, there's a, there's a solution to any problem. It's a question of how human that solution is. You know. All right. Well, listen, we got to run. Thanks so much for being here, Charles Gabba of ACASignups.net. Uh, and, and thank you for being here, Charles. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Back, folks. This is Chris Schechter, and I am sitting in for Leslie Marshall. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. We've got another half hour coming up for you. Had a great talk with Charles Gaba about uh, the Affordable Care Act. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about politics. We've got on the line Jordan Carp, who is the what's called the CEO of Catalyze LLC, longtime political consultant, distiller of booze. What else do you do, Jordan? Uh, non-fixer of toilets. In my house. Nicely done. That works. Um, <laughs> so many different ways I could go with that. I thought of some Donald Trump jokes from Moscow hotel rooms, but I decided not to go with that. Um, so let me let me ask you a question, man. 
Uh, does the world come to an end tomorrow, or, or uh, what, what's going to happen? Predict the future, Jordan, because um, that's what all be, political consultants do. We will probably be testing the uh, founder's vision for the country and seeing how far the uh, how resilient the, the republic really is here. Uh, you know, in, in the next uh, next several weeks. I mean, we're I, it's crazy to think about all of the desks that are just going to sit empty, starting at twelve oh one tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, isn't it? Doesn't he only have? Uh, I wish I had the number at the top of my. Uh, in my head right now, I, I uh, looked at it. I'm trying to think exactly what it was, but like, there's some small percentage of appointments he's had made. It's ridiculously small, and I wish I knew what it was. Did you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you see it? Yeah, it's something like um, 28 out of 640 uh, appointments, <laughs> which is. I mean, I guess uh, we're going to learn if we, we're going to learn if we actually need a government or not, aren't we? Well, you know. Um, which uh, somebody from somebody on the right said that uh, they want the federal government so small they can flush it down uh, or, or put it down the drain of the bathtub. So I think that was Grover Norquist. So it maybe was we'll Norquist. find out tomorrow <laughs> at about twelve fifteen. <laughs> yeah, like. I mean, speaking of drowning in a bathtub, it, it kind of makes me think of sadly of uh, you know Katrina, and I'm remembering you know heck of a job Brownie at FEMA. We kind of have heck of a job Brownie now running the entire government, don't we? We do, but it's like just not there. Is, right? The flip side is obviously, um, you know, Katrina really was the turning point in the Bush presidency when the the country uh, really wanted to turn a page on, on the on the Bush presidency and give the control back to the Democrats. So a- any major flub or uh, inaction is going to be probably untenable uh, for most voters. So that that may. Actually, and not to think about politics and tragedy, but uh, that that may be, um, you know, something Americans will not stand for inaction or ineptitude on that scale. Yeah, and I think sadly it's inevitable. We just hope it doesn't come in the form of you know a shooting war in the Taiwan Strait. Um, but uh, so at this point, seventy-two. Last I saw, uh, Congressmen and women on the Democratic Party are skipping. Trump's inauguration. So far, no senators that I know of have said that they are. There have been a couple of, of like Kamala Harris from, from California. I've, I've heard might be, but nobody seems to know either way. Do you think that's a good move or a bad move, skipping? Um, I think it is. It depends on the district. It depends on the member. Uh, you know, I think it. this sort of – I just worry about the tit-for-tat stuff, you know, uh, you know, with the you know, Obama wasn't legitimate. Is Bush, is uh, is Trump le- legitimate? It, it just, I don't know. It, it, I go back and forth on it. Frankly, I'm not. I don't really have a, a large, uh, a really strong feeling about it either way. <clears throat> I think you made a good point, which is certainly if you're from a very strong, you know, liberal, progressive, whatever you like to call it, district, it would be obviously something that you want to do for political reasons. Um, broader in terms of whether Trump has legitimacy or not. He seems to be doing a, a good enough uh, job on his own. Of, I mean, polling, right? They just did a what, a thirty-two percent approval rating, something like that. Sort of unheard of. Um, I think his favorability, thirty, yeah, thirty-two to the to the low forties. I've seen. So right. he doesn't start off in a strong position. And to, the the tendency at the beginning of terms is to overreach, especially with a healthy majority in the House. Uh, so, so there may be a lot of overreaching here, and that um, that that bit uh, the Obama administration in the butt too in 2010, two years after they uh, took office. So, you know, we could see history repeating itself, and uh, 
that would be, you know, obviously the best thing for the country in our in our minds is to put some balance back in. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I, I think at this point, you know, there's a lot of ways to measure success during the Obama years. Certainly there's uh, improvements, legislation, you know, uh, changes in culture. I mean, you can look at the environment or gay rights or a variety of things. Um, but, you know, we did lose – the Democrats lost a lot of legislative seats, obviously just lost a huge number on the local level um, and congressional seats. So I guess in a manner of speaking – there is no way really to go but up, one would hope, uh, that they are headed back. And so and Trump may be just the thing to galvanize people, I suppose. Yeah, but if you separate the idea of politics from ideology, for example, you know, not there, 10 years ago, it would have been unheard of to think that we're, we would have marriage equality in the U.S. It, it's pretty much accepted now. Um, yeah. I mean, so if you if you sort of take the politics and the sort of electoral politics out of it, I think the I think President Obama has really moved the country, um, at least in a social sense, uh, pretty far to you know much more to the middle. I think that that pendulum has swung. I mean, 2004 we had you know uh, gay marriage bans on ballots in you know 35 states or something like that, and they all passed. I mean, look where we are now. I mean, I think I think if you you forget about the, the you know wins and losses of the ballot box. If you look at just sort of like ideology and um, acceptance and and sort of culturally, in a lot of ways, I think there's a lot of success there that that doesn't show up uh, in election results. No, I think that's hugely important. In fact, the best way you can kind of analyze that is in in the different election results, which we can which are ballot measures. When there's not somebody they can demonize when they have to actually run against an issue, they basically lose almost all the time. You know, there's exceptions to that. But when it comes to legalization of medicinal or, or, you know, recreational marijuana, when it comes to gay marriage, as you point out before, the the Supreme Court legalized for the country, um, minimum wage, gun control, um, you know, it's basically, I mean, in the reddest of, of red states, these things, all these things, win about 90% of the time, uh, showing that uh, in most places, if, if we were just if it was just an issue-based campaign, that Democrats probably would win most of the time. Of course, there's a ton of other factors like money and having the ability to vote and media, and, and they go into that, and, and we get what we get, don't we? Well, and uh, we run some really bad races at times, and we run some really bad candidates at times, and what uh, the the group think in DC is uh, does not match what people actually on the ground want. So I think that there's a, certainly a disconnect that needs to be fixed for the next DNC chair. Um, you know, and who we run for these races and where and how we uh, direct resources to those to those races. Do you see out of, out of who's kind of still there in, in Congress, governors around the country? Do you see any like potential future leaders among those people have talked about, but maybe among some that people have not talked about too? I, you know, the usual suspects are always there. I, um, I don't, but there's always surprises. <laughs> always. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I keep hearing um, what's his name, which is bad of me. Um, the the Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana. Who won during this? You know, won during the, the the past election, and apparently is very popular as a Democrat in Montana. You know, and not in D.C. 
I don't, you know, who knows if that's true or not, but that's one name, for example. There always seem to be some people that come out from sort of outside of Washington who, who are able to, to uh, maybe show another way. I don't know. Yeah, the more we can be outside of Washington and have an, uh, an ideology based outside of the Beltway, and um, I think the better off we are. I mean, you and I both know this from living in D.C. for a long time, and, and neither of us living there anymore. It's, it, it's just totally different, and, and it gives you so much of a better sense of messaging and, and how to talk to regular people if you're, if you're outside of politics all the time. That is a very good point. Um, and let's uh, pick this up after. There's a couple other things I want to talk about politically where you have to go to a quick break. Jordan Carp of Catalyze and much else. We'll be right back. guest hosting for Leslie Marshall. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. We have uh, political consultant Jordan Karp on the line. We're talking about politics right now, what we can expect during the the onset of the Trump years and how Democrats are playing it. Um, Jordan, uh, how's it going? I'm all right. I'm just, uh, you know, a little depressed. <laughs> are you going to are you going to watch the uh, the festivities tomorrow? I will. I, my wife will not will not watch it because she doesn't want to give any better ratings to Donald Trump, um, and that's the only thing he looks at. So I'll be the only one in my family watching it. Yeah, you're gonna go sort of like hold yourself up in a room somewhere and do it. Keep yeah, you know, a kids padded away room. and stuff. Yeah, a padded room. Keep yeah, all absolutely. kids and pets and you know <laughs> maybe even insects out for fear of getting contaminated. And I don't wear shoes with shoelaces, so I'm all set on that. But Dude, you are. It's a Utica thing. <laughs> the rest of us wouldn't understand. Um, so, yeah, I talked to, I don't know if you heard earlier, I was talking to a guy, Charles Gabba, who kind of on his own started crowdsourcing information on the Affordable Care Act. And before he knew it, he was being quoted by uh, people like Paul Krugman because he was the only one keeping track of of the ACA and what was going on, really. So... The polling just showed that for the you know for the first time maybe ever it's it's magically now it's more popular than unpopular. It's what happens when people people realize they may lose their health care. Maybe more people are realizing that you know for example in Kentucky that their local Connect health care which they love actually is Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. They're all the same, all in one. It's crazy. So um, I'll tell you in New York the yep. the thing that blows a big hole in the budget is Medicaid. And it gets pushed down to the county level and blows just enormous holes in all these local budgets. It's a billion dollars. And, yep. you know, for, for a lot of these freshman members uh, that are going down there and they just vote to get this repeal done with getting nothing in return, by the way, is just amazing. Like, there's just no bargaining chip. It's like, you know, we're going to just blow holes in all these state budgets uh, because, you know, Medicaid, you know, slashing Medicaid funding and, and Medicare funding and turning Medicare into a voucher program, I mean, and getting nothing in return, by the way, not even a promise, not even a, a, a soundbite other than, oh, I voted to repeal Obamacare, is just, it's just going to wear out pretty quickly, in my view. Yeah, well, I mean, and truth be told, that they wouldn't have ever been able to do any of that if they weren't in such a gerrymandered districts. But I think even in those districts, 
you know, New York even has some sort of moderate-ish districts. There's not as many because Ohio is so controlled by right-wing nuts, but there's one or two here. Um, but I have to believe even, look, Obamacare, it's great to demonize. It's fun to attack government. What's amazing, though, is when people try to take away the government program that actually benefits you. So it might have been fun attacking Obamacare for all this time, but now, you know, Trump voters, right, Republican, a lot of white working class men are looking at losing their health care. I have a feeling they may feel a little bit differently about that. Well, and if you, if you touch any piece of Medicare, um, that's going to spell disaster in the midterms to – uh, to, to some of these uh, members in some of these swing districts, because the electorate it just gets older, whiter, and more conservative uh, in in the midterm elections. But if you're taking and changing Medicare at all, oof, watch out! Just watch out. It'll that, be like 2006, 2008. That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. And really, I think the only sort of, ironically, the only way that an assault on Medicare doesn't happen, at least you know, they, they, where they don't try, is if Trump doesn't agree to do it. I mean, Paul Ryan's had it in for Medicare almost since he was born. Um, and, uh, you know, if they can't do it now, when would they go after Medicare? I mean, when are they going to have a bigger Republican majority? You know, I guess you could say maybe after the midterms coming up, maybe they could gain seats theoretically in the Senate because it's not the best map for the Democrats. But is that do you do you do that? Wait two years and hope for that? I mean, you know, they can. There are, there's a point where I think people get sick of them just putting it off forever. They say they're going to do this, and I'm talking about conservatives who actually believe in, you know, cutting the government, not um, those who just believe in cutting programs for people who aren't them. Yeah, I think you're also going to find, I mean, some of these people have to have message uh, purposes too, right? They've got to go home to their districts, and they've got to have a message, and their message is going to be, look, I'm I'm voting to... Uh, you know, decrease you know waste, fraud, and abuse, and um, cha- and we're we're getting rid of Obamacare. But w- once these things sort of start to happen, it, the inaction, if they don't do it, it may be just as bad. So they're kind of put in a bind a little bit. And I think the the sort of the, the telling thing, what's going to happen is, you know, obviously all House members are up in two years. A third of the Senate is up in two years. The president's not up for four years. So to see how long a decent relationship will last between. Ryan McConnell and Trump is going to be one of the more interesting sort of um, background stories here and, and sort of playing out that relationship and who's got the upper hand there and who's trying to do what is going to be really telling. Because, you know, if Trump has any decent political acumen, he's going to say, look, I've got to win those same voters I did in 2016 in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, and I can't do that. Uh, with with a Ryan McConnell agenda uh, completely. And so what do I horse trade to make some of this happen and block some of it? It's just going to be interesting to see how that relationship plays out. And I think that the, I think House and Senate Republicans are just terrified of getting called out on Twitter and being right. I mean it's just it's just amazing how they've cowered uh, in in sort of sight uh, of some of this or the idea of some of this, so it'll be just interesting to see how that relationship plays out, and you know, we'll let them let them figure it out, and, and we'll we'll figure out the message and run on it. No, I know. I mean, it's it's especially kind of interesting to see if um, you know. I mean, McConnell is sort of milk toast, does what business wants. I mean, Ryan's not far off, but I mean, that's the thing about Trump is with his unpredictability. You know, he may go and start insulting a certain interest or something that's important to them. And in the midterms, again, as you pointed out, it may be older, whiter, and often more conservative. 
but not so not so uh, conservative when it comes to their money they get, uh, what they want. And so I could see a lot of that falling apart. If Democrats are smart, they could actually play that to their advantage. I mean, those guys don't want a lot of the stuff Trump was talking about. The infrastructure bill comes to mind as another one. Um, the Tea Party was I, launched I, on not on not exploding the def or, or not increasing the deficit, and uh, you know billions of dollars in new spending without a way to pay for it will explode the deficit. So you know they've got they've got a very tough line to go. And, and Donald Trump, whatever you say about him, he's non ideological. He is a populist through and through. He will do whatever he and say whatever is popular in the moment. I mean, uh, Paul Ryan is an Ayn Rand, you know, yep. conservative through and through. He is a bedrock principle conservative. I mean, I don't agree with anything he says, but he's he's ideological. And so, you know, wh- that relationship and the sort of ebb and flow of the House and the, and the executive branch is really going to be interesting to see how that plays out and if they can keep each other happy, because I don't think they keep each other happy that long. Now, I'm starting to sense sitcom here. Um, actually, I mean, if the truth of the matter is, is they, they, you know, I mean, it's only a truce for right now. I mean, it, you know, it's not like they've kept each other happy as long as they have, and then suddenly everything, you know, and the relationship has been a, a solid one. They've been fighting forever. It's just this is a period of time where they, for right now, for because they have common interest in getting along, they're getting along. Yeah, six months ago, Donald Trump was on Twitter saying that Paul Nealon or whatever his name was, who ran against uh, Paul Ryan, was a great guy. I mean, come on, this is not like they, they've had a relationship that long. There's there's zero trust between the two of them, and whoever blinks first is gonna is gonna. It's a it's a weird game of chicken uh, yeah. on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. We also know that Trump originally ran, you know, just to up his ratings, right? I mean, he didn't even think he was going to win the Republican primary, much less the presidency. So, I mean, do you think he pulls a Palin in the middle? Because I'm kind of suspicious he gets sick of this at some point. I think he probably think? gets – I don't know. It, he's got such an ego. Do you think he's really going to say to himself, am I going to be the one person that walks away from this thing? I, I don't know. No, I, mean, I, I guess that's a great it's question. It's wishful thinking. I, I hope it happens tomorrow, but it's not going to. <laughs> well, I think if they tried to force him to leave, he'd fight with everything because you're right. He doesn't let anybody tell him what to do. I wonder if someday he wakes up and is just like, I'm sick of this crap. So he tweets out, he's too, you know, the government is, is not good enough for him. Who the hell knows what he sends out, right? Well, I've, I've done everything justify. I, told you I was going to do. Peace out. And that's, it. And that's, that's what I mean, right? Exactly. Yeah. I've been successful. There's no point in doing this anymore. You know, whatever it might be, he finds a justification to leave. Yeah, maybe. It's just but a do, thought. Do, would, you rather run against, would you rather run against Mike Pence in four years or Donald Trump? Oh, I'm not saying I want him to do it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering out loud. No, I, I think he's chaos personified. I think the yeah. longer he's there, he tears down all sorts of parts of the Republican Party. So yeah. I, 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 you know, now that we're, we're stuck with him, um, I, I'm, I'm happy to have him stay there and and keep trying to make it work. No, I don't want to deal with Pence because Pence is a, is at least a consistent liar. He can smile. And sort of, and tell you, gay conversion therapy is a good thing, in a way that you know, Trump is he can't even sort of he can't stay consistent from minute to minute, which I think is to our benefit if, if Democrats ever get their act together. As long as we have um, a country in four years, yes. Yeah. Well, there's that. So, okay, I think we're about to head out, Jordan. Thank you for joining us. It's come to an end, uh, folks. I don't know what you'll be doing tomorrow, but good luck, Godspeed, and I'll talk to you on the other side. <laughs>